listeners, welcome back to the Real Housewives of Hockey. I'm Stu, and I'm going to be your host today because we've lost Riley somewhere in the nation's capital of Canada. He's up in Ottawa for the Canada Day weekend. Hopefully he hasn't run into too many angry protesters. But uh, we're back talking about some hockey tonight. Uh, with some, we've got some news and notes, some draft things to talk about with the draft coming up this week. And I will pass it off to Evan, who is here and he's back. He's ready to talk some hockey. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. Always appreciate you listening. Really excited to be here tonight. We have a guest who's a friend of mine for some years now. We go back all the way to high school. And uh, yeah, just really excited to have you here. So without further ado, Stu, do you want to introduce our guest? Our guest tonight, Alex, is uh, what Evan tells me is a draft guru and has uh, always had a pulse for the uh, the, the draft and the, the prospects. And I will uh, I'll let Alex tell you a little bit about himself. All right. Hey, uh, I'm Alex. I guess I'm uh, Riley's uh, temporary replacement for the week. <laughs> I'm a good friend of Evan's all the way back from high school. Basically, like down here in Jersey, not many people like new hockey. So like that's me and Evan would just always talk hockey all the time. And while he does call me a draft guru, I appreciate it. But uh, it's more of just like a little hobby because the Devils, my team, have always been pretty bad over the last seven years when I've really been into hockey. So I just would read about the draft every year. So it just turned into a little hobby. Nice, nice. That's uh, that's how I got interested in reading about prospects, too, is I was a long-suffering Leaf fan. <laughs> but uh, moving moving swiftly forward, uh, getting into our, our news and notes, a happy birthday to the legend. That would be Jumbo Joe Thornton of from uh, St. Thomas, Ontario. Happens to be Riley's favorite player, though I thought we would uh, wish him a happy birthday on the pod tonight. Even though Riley's not here, we're Getting started with Sharks news. Uh, the Sharks cleared house completely their coaching staff, other than uh, former Shark Evgeny Nabokov, who retains his job as their goaltending coach, goaltending, whatever you want to call him. He manages all their goalies. Uh, but they decided to clear house kind of after most of or all of all of the other uh, teams have hired coaches. Uh, but they are obviously going into uh, a change in structure with uh, a new GM soon to be named, possibly. Now they've got an open slate coaching-wise. Uh, Rick Bonus gets the Winnipeg job. Jim Montgomery is the new coach in Beantown. And the Red Wings are hiring Lalonde off of uh, Tampa's staff to steal some of that Stanley Cup experience on the bench. Any any thoughts on the uh, the hirings from the Jets, from the Bruins, from the Red Wings guys? Alex, feel free to chime in here. I was going to say the early rumor was Boston was going to go for Quinn as head coach. And I was laughing because I don't think he's a very good head coach. I know Rangers fans did not like him at all. <laughs> and that was like the rumor, like probably 12 hours before they announced the Montgomery signing. That just kind of came out of nowhere. I think Montgomery's probably a much better option. Uh, in Boston for them. I I would agree with he's a better option than Quinn, but I 
I don't know. I was a bit surprised to see his name pop up again. Not that he was a horrible coach, but I don't know exactly what the Bruins are doing, especially under Don Sweeney. Um, I was like joking around with one of my friends that uh, Sweeney is like literally Bergevin's lookalike. And like it might not just be like the physical looks, but he also might just be uh, trending in that direction of the GM work that Bergevin did um, in Montreal. So, hey, if Boston tanks as a Habs fan, I'm like, I'm all for it. Sorry, Bruins fans. But, you know, as uh, mortal enemies of your franchise, you know, it just just fun to see your see your team suck so um yeah but just a little friendly thing there and uh what was it the red quick thing on the red wings we hired crew or i say we there because i actually i do like the red wings because of the, the history of the franchise um and i think all the crew memes that they're going to come with that are fantastic so good job to the social media team there have fun with that and oh we i know we do, i know we talked about this on a lot uh, last podcast but alex very quickly what are your thoughts on um on the paul murray's hiring down in florida I think it's definitely, definitely interesting. I think they definitely wanted the veteran coach, despite how Andrew Burnett did, mainly because of their performance in the playoffs. They didn't really look ready to play. I think they should have dominated the Washington team that they uh, didn't look that much better than. I think they only scored one more goal than Washington over the six games. I think they definitely wanted a veteran coach. And I think that might be the right hire for that team because their window is these next few years. So yeah, I think I just think a veteran coach was definitely the right call there. I'm pretty uh, big guy that always gets pretty mad, like coaches around the league just basically get recycled. But I, I think that was a good hiring. I think that might be the change of direction they they needed. Yeah, I won't get into to too much because we we got into <laughs> Maurice last uh, last pod, um, or I guess technically now two pods ago because uh, we released the life coming before hockey in between. Or sorry, no, we that was on the the life comes before hockey pod. That on the, the our most recent pod was the fantasy world pod. But anyways, uh, if you want to hear some of my thought, uh, Riley's rant against why the, the hiring suck, uh, you can go <laughs> check that out uh, on the the earlier pod, which is titled "When Life Comes Before Hockey." Uh, moving on to uh, some more news uh, around the hockey world. I was reading this article on my phone, just sort of scrolling through, uh, and it, uh, from the Athletic, Dan Robson and uh, Mike Russo, um, just talking about how teams are a bit worried about the potential of uh, some of the Russian players going back to their homeland for the summer and then not being able to return to North America come September, October, when they need to be in training camp and on rosters to play games. Um, and a lot of this sort of stems from uh, Russian goalie prospect uh, signed by the Flyers. Ivan Fedotov was detained in Russia uh, on suspicions of dodging military service. And I was reading that there were reports that he was in hospital today, uh, yesterday. Uh, a bit of a weird situation, but so he is signed to be a flyer next year, and we'll see what happens with the whole situation. Uh, obviously, the WNBA was dealing with a situation. Um, I need to look up her last name because I don't want to screw up the pronunciation. Brittany uh, Griner was is still stuck in Russia pending trial uh, for it was uh, cannabis possession. And we'll see what happens with that. 
but a bit of a, a scary, scary thought for some teams as they don't want to stop their their players from from going because they're grown men who can make their own decisions. But they're just worried that they might not come back, which is scary. <laughs> it is scary, especially for Minnesota. If you're Minnesota, <laughs> they're they're engaged in cap hell now. And like imagine losing literally their franchise player. <laughs> Good luck, Minnesota fans. Good luck praying for you, I guess, in that regard. Yeah, well, there were a couple of uh, agents quoted off the or quoted without names um in that piece sort of saying that they were advising their their russian clients to stay in north america or if you're gonna go overseas go to somewhere in europe or go to somewhere in asia don't uh don't go to russia yep but we'll see what happens um and then a couple of extensions uh to uh come across the desk uh brock besser got extended at a three-year term 6.665 aev and uh, nick paul got extended in tampa for seven years at a 3.15 aav and personally i think that the besser deal is a good one if he can stay healthy uh he's He's probably worth six point six five if he's scoring if he's scoring sixty points and a key cog on your power play. If he is sitting in the press box because he's hurt, that could be a tough pill to swallow. I think that this Nick Paul extension is a bit expensive, personally, for a guy who's had like had a good playoffs. Don't get me wrong, had some big goals, especially against the Leafs. Um, <laughs> But it seems like one of those deals that by like, I don't know, unless unless that they're going to push him to play like more minutes in on like on their third line and shorthanded minutes, power play minutes. I feel like it's going to be hard for him to live up to the three point one AAV, especially in this in this cap world where every dollar counts in your in your depth. Um, I think the uh, going back to the Besser deal. Can I yeah, go for it? Yeah. So. Uh, what I have to say about that is I, I mentioned this in uh, in my little document I shared with you guys about the draft, how GMs and scouts generally tend to really value like just goal scoring ability and the ability to put the puck in the back of the net, which is Besser's main strength. Uh, so I think 6.65 is, is pretty fair considering what he might get on the open market. I know there was a bunch of stuff outside of hockey impacting him like in his personal life recently. I think he's a pretty solid player. I think your comments on his ability to stay healthy are very fair. What I don't like about that contract is it's three years and he goes right to unrestricted free agency. I thought they would have tried to extend him for longer or maybe get that two-year bridge before he hit the unrestricted. Uh, I think it was two years he'd still be a restricted. I'm not sure on that. I think they should have gone for length or pursued maybe even a trade at this point with a contract in place because three years of control for a restricted free agent just seems kind of low to me. I'm not sure if that's the best asset management. Well, it's better cap. I'll, I'll say it's better cap management than they had under their previous GM. <laughs> Jim Benning was, oh my goodness. That was a fun time, eh, eh, Canucks fans, when Jim Benning was running your team. Oh, my God. They all closed the podcast. (laughs) Well, there go all of our Canucks fans listeners. But anyways, Evan, uh, uh, 
Your thoughts on Besser and Paul? Um, just to, I'll touch on Besser first. It's interesting that you brought up Alex. I, from what I've seen, apparently the projections are that basically when that Besser deal expires in three years, the cap is projected to go up by, I don't know exactly what the amount or percentage is, but it, it should go up by a decent amount, I guess. And so basically, mm-hmm. I feel like they might be confident they could be able to sign him at an extension that's worth more because they would have the cap to do so. So it's going to be kind of interesting. They also basically have like separated it out so that they can figure out what to do with Elias Pettersson the year before that too. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, the the whole cap structure of the Canucks is kind of weird. Quinn Hughes and OEL uh, have their contracts ex- expire in the same year in 2027. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. And just touching on Nick Paul quickly, um, just to touch on what Stu said, or I think one of you guys said, like where he planned the lineup, what they expect out of him based on just looking at their current lineup right now. The way I would look at it is that Nick Paul is essentially three C with sort of that Barkley, Goudreau, Yanni Gord replacement. That makes sense. Playing sort of that shutdown role, but also being able to chip in a bit. Clearly, he's meshed well with the landing players there. I mean, they're a stacked team, but there's nothing to be said about having uh, chemistry and fitting in with with uh, with the team. So that's kind of where I see that um, the contract itself. It kind of feels a bit like a an Islanders contract. Like that's a Lou contract. <laughs> I know Alex would appreciate well, that. Well, well, well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it really does look like a Lou contract, to be honest. Um, you know what contract it reminds me of? Um, I was going to say Marcus Kruger, right? After mm. the Blackhawks win a cup, they sign a bottom six forward to, uh, I think it was four years, three million per at yeah, the time. You're right. It might have been three years. Three and a quarter. And yeah. fine at the time. And by the end of the contract, he was out of the league. And I will say this because I just pulled up the list right now of like free agent centers. The only real like ideal third line center I see is Kale Yarncroak, uh, mainly because Andrew Kopp is better on the wing and he's probably going to get overpaid this year as well. There's not really many good like third line center options. And I think Tampa knew that and they wouldn't be able to match like annual value if he did hit the open market since centers just generally do get overpaid in free agency. That's a good point. I think that, uh, yeah, they probably looked at, at free agency and sort of said there's not much that we like better and we've got this guy established in our system already in uh holding on and i guess when you've when you won two straight stanley cups your your drive for that third one (laughs) drive to get another to get three and four now yeah maybe tampa Um, tampa didn't think that they could get a gino right or bergeron can you imagine that guys a one-year deal one of those guys signed like on the cheap that would have been insane Bergeron is Bergeron was reported to have a deal in place with Boston, right? Yeah, for we, we were going to talk just about that. Not yeah, yeah, you're right. We were yeah. going to talk about that, but I'm just saying, like hypothetically, can you, can you imagine how ridiculous that would be if one of oh. those guys went to Tampa? <laughs> I know they're like they're like at the end of their careers, yeah. but still, like that would that would make headlines for sure. They're both end of the end of their career and have Stanley Cups already, so it's not like. You're they're Stanley Cup chasing yeah. per Corey se, Perry, but uh, three straight losses in the final. Oh, that's rough. He has a cup too, yeah, though. Yes, but I feel does. like that Corey Perry curse is a bit unfair for people. It's like I know they're joking around and stuff, but like, it's not really his fault. You know, the guy's playing like fourth line role at this point in the career. So yeah, yeah. 
We'll see what he looks like in a Colorado Avalanche jersey next year. <laughs> and then the the last, well, I guess we 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 wanted to touch on free agency for a little bit, but uh, the last piece of news uh, I wanted to to make sure to bring up was uh, Victor Mete, who's on the the twenty eighteen World Junior Team, uh, in a story we've been following here on the pod. Um, about the alleged sexual assault. He, in a statement, said that he was on vacation in Jamaica uh, during that uh, party in London, but made a, made a statement that he said he will do anything in his power to help uh, move that investigation along, um, which was uh, good to see um, and and good, good on him for, for being transparent and open uh like obviously it's it's in his favor um but uh from what we've heard earlier from this whole debacle uh, is that there's not a whole lot of openness so it was nice to nice change of pace uh to see that and then uh evan mentioned uh we talk a little bit about free agency i mentioned we talk a little bit about free agency uh the boston bruins apparently have some sort of deal in place with uh Patrice Bergeron not sure what the, how they're going to do stuff with all of their 2 million dollars they have but uh you never know maybe Bergeron is pulling a Jason Spezza and signing for league minimum because yeah as i pull up cap friendly the Boston Bruins have 2.383333 million dollars in projected cap space and Bergeron if he wanted, could take all of that and more. Yeah, maybe a little bit of that, just a tiny bit of it, you know, because he's also not their captain and not arguably the most important player in a sense, right? So, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Looking at their team now, I just pulled it up on Cap Friendly. It feels like Jake DeBrusque and Craig Smith might be movable contracts, even at the end of the day. That's only seven million. That team really, I feel like they need a second line center behind Bergeron. They're going to be able to um, do some stuff with long-term injured reserve, though, when the season opens, I think, uh, based on, I know a lot of their guys are going to be out well into the season. And I remember reading about like somebody speculating what they're going to do with it. Um, Unfortunately, nobody knows the exact rules behind it uh, because it's not outlined in the CBA, but I'm sure... um, Boston will navigate the cap a little somehow. Yeah, well, they're going to be missing. It's McAvoy and Marshawn probably until what I was hearing was at least December, which was why I thought, and I've said this before on the pod, that I think that if you're a if you're a Detroit, if you're an Ottawa, if you're Buffalo, both Boston and Washington, I think are kind of primed to take a step back. And there's two playoff spots. If you can, uh, if you're one of those teams that's trying to make the step up from being a rebuilder, uh, if you can grab one of those spots, be pretty darn good for you. Uh, and then um, some other free agents. Uh, well, PK Subban's a free agent. Claude Giroux, Phil Kessel, Chris Letang, Marc Andre Fleury. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau probably going to get paid, whether that's paid by Calgary or paid by someone else. Um, and I know Evan, you wanted to touch specifically on on Pittsburgh. Uh, do you have anything 
you wanted to talk about with the yeah, pens? Ju- just before I do that, very quickly, looking at um, the Bruins on Cap Friendly, um, I'm noticing just the number of UFAs on this team after this upcoming season. So for the 2023-2024 offseason, Pasta's up, Felino's up, Smith's up, Hal is up, No Sig, Wagner, like uh, Trent Frederick. So a lot of money that's going to get freed up there. A way that they could shift their team around, at least the Ford core. I think on defense, they're really locked in, especially with that McAvoy contract and also bringing in Hampus Lindholm and uh, extending him. But just now touching on the uh, the pens. From what I've seen, first I'll, t- I'll touch on uh, Gino uh, Evgeny Malkin. Um, reports say that he is going to sign somewhere else so he will no longer be a pittsburgh penguin at least that's the pulse of the news um so we'll see where he goes apparently money's not necessarily an issue for him so expect something like a one million dollar contract potentially right maybe more but i would assume that if money's not a big thing and he really cares about winning a lot especially if he can get a really good he can get it on a really good team i think he would he would take a lot less and then he's uh he signed three contract. He signed three contracts with a total value of over a hundred and thirty million dollars. I think he's okay. Yeah, no, but he's not grasping for peanuts here. <laughs> as long as he didn't hire the same money manager as Jack oh, I was going to say uh, Evander Kane. As long as he didn't have, he doesn't have the same accountant or whoever. Well, as long as he doesn't have the gambling problems, that's a whole separate game. thing. But you, you know, you know, I guess you know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> um, any anything to add there on on Gino, Alex? I actually do. So I know one of the initial guys who reported Malkin has played his last game in Pittsburgh is has a very uh, Eklund level of uh, reputability, where occasionally he'll throw a dart at the board and it'll stick. But a lot of the time, they're just shots right. in the dark. So I, I know a lot of people didn't take it super seriously, which is like the origin of the the rumor, I think. I could see him back in Pix- Pittsburgh. I like what you mentioned about it's not about money. It could be about winning. And I just think back to, you know, what if Pittsburgh's goalies didn't get injured and they didn't have Louis Domingue as goalie, right? <laughs> if that team... They could have made it to the conference final. They, I don't think Carolina was like all that good. They showed they were probably better than the Rangers if healthy. And they could have beaten, you know, like I said, they could have maybe beaten Carolina. And if that team had a big season, you know, maybe this rumor, you know, the, the doesn't come out at all. Or maybe it's smoke to a fire. I don't know. I saw Washington mentioned as an interesting landing spot for him. I don't know. If you would do that, if you would go in division, that would feel so weird. Total team chaos. Really fun to oh watch. God. I still think he's going to be a penguin. <laughs> that that I yeah I think you made I think you made some really good points there actually. Um, especially in the playoffs, you're right. I mean having I mean look, Louis Domingue seems I guess absolutely stand up guy. Um, and yes, I would yeah bake us some cookies. We'll, we'll eat them. Yes, we'll yes we will invite you on the show. Whatever. Um, but uh. Yeah, they pens are one of those examples of just getting absolutely decimated in that, along with Carolina, obviously, too, not being able to play Frederick Anderson. Obviously, having Ronta versus Domingue, I think, is definitely an upgrade. But um, 
yeah, I mean, Ronta constantly getting injured and then um, Carolina having to constantly go back to uh, Kochekov, who was a rookie, wasn't necessarily the most ideal um, scenario either. And then I'll quickly touch on Latang. So just rumors and news about that so far have been that there have been talks about multi-year extensions for Latang in Pittsburgh. So Montreal fans, calm down. Kent Hughes is not somehow just waving a magic wand and convincing all the all his players that he used to be managing to come over to Montreal. Yes, temper your expectations. Uh, we have a plan that it's going to take a number of years. And then one last thing I want to touch on that I think is really interesting that we haven't talked about yet is that uh, Alex, you mentioned Washington and what I found really interesting was um, their, their whole goaltending situation. Um, I, I saw something about how Washington might actually go out and acquire Bobrovsky and that the Florida's uh, Florida Panthers are willing to retain up to 50% of, of his, of his contract uh, to move him. So any thoughts on that before I move on? That like I I'd heard the same that, they're trying to they're trying to move him and they're willing to, to eat half his cap. But I hadn't really seen anything about destination. So Washington is interesting. I liked Ilya Samsonov when he came into the league and I, I thought he was going to be decent. And there's still time, but he's just he's had a bit of a rough go of it. Malkin to replace Nick Backstrom would be absolutely hilarious. And I would like from just a, a total team chaos, like all of those years that they played against each other in the in the playoffs, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Pens against the Caps, huge rivalry. And it'd be so funny to watch somebody that was such a big part of that rivalry flip to the other side. There's all sorts of reporting rumors, whether Malkin and Ovechkin are friends, sometimes it seems like sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. So you never know. Uh, anyways, uh, moving on to the big thing that's happening next week. No, Riley, that's not your birthday. It's uh, the <laughs> NHL draft. So we're just going to sort of open it up. I got a number of draft pages pulled up. I know that uh, we talked a little quickly about the last podcast about uh Bob McKenzie having Slavkovsky at one, while Corey Pronman in his uh, most recent mock draft had Slavkovsky going one and Shane Wright falling to four. That seems wild. Yeah, let me just jump in here very quickly. Um, oh, I, I, I was equally oh, yep, in shock, if not more shocked than Stu, because obviously it's, you know, Montreal as a Habs fan, we have the first overall pick. So it's been like Shane Wright, Shane Wright. And then all of a sudden it's been like Slavkovsky. Anyway, Alex, you take it away. Go ahead. Corey Pronman has in the past been criticized maybe for having takes that are more out there and like he's accused of just trying to generate clicks rather than provide the best analysis he can. You know, I think it is. Pretty reputable, though, for not reputable, uh, respectable for any draft analyst out there to have out there takes and defend them. Because honestly, a lot of the time, these draft experts and analysts, they just try to stay really close to one another. They don't want to be too far out of the consensus. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's interesting this year, sort of with the more open race for the top spot. Versus like we had so many years where it was just like, well, Connor McDavid is obviously head and shoulders like way above the rest. Generational talent. Pick him one. Austin Matthews. Generational talent. 
obvious real good player pick him one and then sort of go keep going up like i guess he sure patrick was a debate um but like we haven't really had a serious sort of generational talent this year and part of that i think is because a lot of them missed basically your hockey but and Yuri Slavkovsky had a fantastic Olympic tournament, which was on a lot of people's minds. Uh, but I, I personally think Montreal go with Shane Wright. I feel like they they'll look at having Wright and Suzuki as their their future one and two pivots that can kind of both be a one A one B kind of deal. And just think that that's too much of a too much of a good thing to pass up. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I really like Shane Wright. I would say, though, that Montreal can't make a wrong decision between Wright and Slavkovsky. As you said, this is probably the only draft aside from 2017 in recent years where there's pretty much any debate about the first overall pick. I think either one is a franchise player, and I kind of think there's a drop off after two in this draft. As a Devils fan, I know we're getting one of them. I been preparing for Slavkovsky since the lottery, right? Been watching a lot of him and stuff. But now that there's been this recent news, it's right. I'm still pretty thrilled just to get one of them. I don't think the Canadians can really mess this one up. I think they're getting like a franchise level talent either way. What do you think of the the two defensemen sort of that are slotted in the top five there and uh, Simon Nemec and David Juracek? I'm a big fan of Juracek and the what a, the bits of his game I've watched. Uh, obviously, he had the the big injury, but uh, the, I think they're they're both good prospects for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on to that, Evan, do you have anything to say? Since you know your team is the yeah, one no, drafted first overall, to let you guys go first there. But I don't know. To me, like the way I look at it is that I see a value in either picking Wright or Slavkovsky. I'll start with Wright. I just the obvious thing of having a one-two punch down the middle of Suzuki and Wright. And I think really we need a center positionally speaking. And just for the team moving forward, having another top six center is just so crucial because after that whole cup run and the decimation of our roster via like the off season, as well as injuries, we literally lost half of our centers. Philip Deneau was gone and uh, Jesperi Kakaniemi. So that was a huge blow to, I mean, any team, you, you take half their centers out. That's, you just got the team essentially there down the middle. So, you know, repairing that um, with a player of rights status elk would certainly be an excellent option. And if, you know, we take Slavkovsky, right, right. I just hope that we get that pick right if we do that. But based on watching him, kind of tracking him, what, you know, when I really noticed him was in the Olympics. And when I watched highlights of the guy, you know, the, the thing that really stood out to me most was his shot. I was like, wow, this guy has a real NHL level shot just already that, you know, at this age and like that would already be an asset, especially for a team like the Habs that have been anemic offensively for a long time. I know we had a guy like patch ready or even like Galchenyuk when he was a 30 goal scorer. Great. But like, honestly, overall, like, been pretty anemic offensively. So having a guy that could really shoot the puck, that's also a big power for it. I know he, I know Slavkowski doesn't necessarily physically impose himself on other people, but having a guy that that can skate well, that can be a power for it is always a big benefit because we've seen sort of the impact that Josh Anderson has had um, on the Habs. So having another guy like that might not be the worst thing. Um, But speaking of Josh Anderson, actually, um, do you guys think that maybe the Habs swing a, swing a trade? I know uh, Alex, we were, we were 
discussing this a bit, you know, um, a week or two ago, but just something I wanted to ask you guys quickly. He's probably on the out as is, as is Jeff Petrie. I think those are just sort of two bigger, bigger salary deals that uh, were signed by the previous regime that I don't think Kent Hughes wants to hold on to necessarily. And I think that there's probably teams around the league that look at Josh Anderson and go a 30 goal score, like a, probably 30 goal scorer on on our roster and we're paying him five million dollars that makes a lot of sense for a big guy score goals i was reminded of a, a little bit of a discussion we had um on the, the that last podcast with kevin and just sort of talking about how the habs have often had very defensive minded coaches two tours of duty for both michelle Terrian and Coach Julian. So those are two very defensive-minded coaches. It'll be interesting to see with Barty San Luis a bit more offensive. What the Habs can do opening up their offense a bit more than we've been used to in the past. Yeah, no, definitely a good point there with the defensive coaches. Um, I think that's been a big influence um, of why we've been anemic uh, offensively. But um, I guess moving moving on here, Stu. Wanna, do you want to touch on the best name thing? <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty funny and cool. Oh, yeah. So this is just me scrolling through names. And I, I thought, best name of the first round, or potentially in the first round, is it Rooker McGrody or is it Jaeger Furkus? Those, those were the two that here, stood out to me. Let me throw another guy in here. A, a Jimmy Snuggerud. Like that, the Snuggerud or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Alex, you probably know who this guy is, but I thought that was kind of a funny one. Uh, yeah, uh, I got two of those guys going um, in the first round. Any, any other funny names? Uh, I would say okay. Yeah, but hey, it's fun. It's fun to look at some of the the, the fun hockey names coming out of the draft, yep, coming into absolutely. the draft now. Like Rooker McGrody sounds like a sounds like a third line grinder already. Yeah, uh, I will say though, no team will beat Red Savage from from uh, last year. That's got to be like the best name there could be. That's, that's, that's pretty up, up there. That's up there. <laughs> that's up there for sure. And then, the, yeah, the next thing I had just on the on the list here, the fall of Brad Lambert. Like, I know he he had decent season this year, but he was split between uh, the like top tier finish league and the second tier finish league. And but it, it's just like interesting to see that the progression of a draft class, because I remember like I, I we play a lot of the NHL video game and uh, Brad Lamb, like this this year's draft in NHL 21, NHL 20, like it was just Shane Wright and Brad Lambert. Those were the those were the top two guys like every time you did it. And it's been interesting to see, see him fall down the draft boards this year like i i from what i've seen of him i i still think he's a, a fantastic prospect and he's probably still deserving of a first round pick evan you just read yeah, joe valeno 2.0 if, if you're done um, when you're done yeah but uh i just i i think that there's there's some potential there he reminds me like just from what i've read in the in the scouting reports it sounds to me a little bit like like a William Nylander type 
or he definitely has the skill. It's just that you don't necessarily see it every night. Yeah, for sure. Um, just looking interestingly at different mock drafts from the athletic one from Corey Prom and then the other from Scott Wheeler um, on Promman's mock draft. He has Lambert at 29th to the Oilers um, and Wheeler has uh, Lambert at 19th to the LA Kings, which I found actually pretty interesting, both different cases, but I think he's going to be one of those guys that if he does drop, he's kind of like he could be a potential steal because I think there is a lot of talent there, but I think he's obviously struggled. But if he kind of pushed past that, we could be looking back X number of years from now and being like, wow, you know, he's one of those guys that win later in the draft and is actually a pretty good player, you know, like. Matt Barzell went 15th overall, right, in his draft years or sort of stuff like that. I mean, you can go further along even at that, you know, looking at different forwards that went 20 something overall that are top six forwards in the NHL today, young, prominent forwards. So I think that Lambert has the potential to be someone like that. But uh, Alex, I mean, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. So I was a big fan of Lambert as the year started. I had him as a top five talent. I still think in terms of pure talent level, you could definitely make the argument he's top five. He's like right by Logan Cooley in terms of overall talent. I have him at 17th, which I think one of the other big draft guys also has him going at 17 to Nashville. The reason he really fell the most, in my opinion, is his compete level. He gives up on plays. He'll give up in the game. He'll give up on a team is what people have said because he switched teams in uh, Liga this year in the middle of the year. When it comes to passing, he's an elite playmaker, yet he gets the criticism for not utilizing his teammates. Sometimes he also had poor production this year between two teams in Liga after having a really good 16, 17 year as in his age, but he's still shown like he can be a top guy at the uh, U20 World Junior Classic. Although it was only two games, he was just the best player on the ice. He's gone from a top five pick to a boomer bust pick that I think is going to be more of a home run swing, like a team maybe with a second first or a team that really needs to change the course of their franchise and don't have a high pick. I think that's where he's going to end up going. I'd seen this kind of kind of jokingly, but and I, I mentioned it a little bit on the, the last pod. I do wonder if the Leafs kind of decide to go after him. Like I know that the Leafs draft philosophy has sort of wavered between the go for the home run guy and maybe just sort of go for the the safe guy. But I wonder like just cause their prospect pool is starting to grow in on the the elite talent. I wonder if the Leafs might sort of swing for the home run. Uh, and then the other little interesting thing on uh, on Lambert was just two days ago, the Seattle Thunderbirds acquired uh, the draft right for Lambert, who's uh, from the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, so if he's going to be playing in the Canadian Hockey League, uh, he will be playing in Seattle next year. So they it, that that is interesting because it sort of shows that there's a team in the CHL that's interested. Like they gave up something for his rights, thinking that an NHL team might throw him in the W next year. But he could also very well go back to Finland. That'll all depend on whatever team takes him. Also interesting that he is uh, the nephew of. Uh, head coach in the in New York, the Islanders head coach, Lane, Lane Lambert. So if he uh, somehow finds his way to the island, 
be interesting to see if uh, his uh, his uncle can get him going. But uh, again, as as you were talking there, Alex, it just made made me think, boy, this kid sounds like William Newlander. Yeah, I think uh, that's also why he won't end up on the island, because I think Lou Lamarillo would strangle him <laughs> if he saw him giving up on a play. <laughs> yep, that's uh, very, very true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> very true. We already touched a little bit there on uh, the fall of Shane Wright, maybe, perhaps. I don't think so. But I, I like Shane Wright. We say fall of Shane Wright. Shane Wright's going to be a top five pick for sure. Top yeah, three pick, top almost definitely. <laughs> top two, probably. I, I would bet quite a bit on it. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, and he's a uh, he's good Kingston kid, captain of yeah. oh, captain here, of the France give, give last some year. Context here, Alex, very quick. So, uh, Stu and uh, Riley are actually from from Kingston. That's where I'm down. So, you know, oh. they love their Kings, uh, Kingston Frontenacs. Oh, okay. Here, Frontenacs references in our episodes. You know why now? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. No, but I'll, I mean, I'll touch very quickly on that. Like, I think, I mean, he he had exceptional status at like the age of 15, which is crazy. There's only a handful of players in history that have done that. Because of that, I think he, Wright basically set expectations so freaking high for himself, to be honest. And like, he still did have a good season, just albeit not the insane outstanding one that everyone thought he would be because they projected him as the slam dunk number one overall pick for this draft so i think it's really just more of him meeting everyone's outrageous expectations to be honest not that you know he could have played better for sure but i think it really is attributed to that mainly yeah for sure and then uh the next thing we had down the list here uh generational talent for slovakia for the first time perhaps uh, with yuri slavkovsky we touched on the play touched on the skill like if he can come into the league and and live up to the projections and, and play sort of the way he did at the olympics against against men and continue to play against men in the nhl like that he's got a shot at being the greatest slovak player ever Probably like, I yeah. mean, Zidane, like it's hard to argue with Zidane Chara, but like the best offensive producing Slovak guy ever. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think uh, right now Slovakia is really a hockey country on the come up. They could have four first rounders this year, which we can uh, touch on a little bit later. As we as we mentioned before, this this guy is like, I think, a higher ceiling than Wright. I still think uh, Wright is more likely to be the better player. But this guy's ceiling is really high. If you watch the Olympics, he dominated games. I then watched the World Championships, uh, you know, which happened during the playoffs for, you know, all the teams who uh, a lot of players from teams who didn't make the playoffs or got kicked out in the first round. And he was more often than not the best player on the ice for either team he was playing. And Team Canada had a really solid team this year. Um, and Sweden and the U.S. had decent teams, but he was the best player on the ice when several NHL players were on the ice as well. So... I'm starting to think he's going to step into the league as soon as next year. He could do a little bit of AHL time, which could really benefit him. 
Um, if the devils do take him, he might look really good alongside a Jack user. And yeah, Nico that, that would that would be really exciting to watch. Like, I've been a big fan of Jack Hughes's rise this this year. It's been a bit of a breakout year, I think, for him. Um, you know, obviously, it's sad that he got injured. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. That, that would be a lot of fun, especially, you know, from a devil's fan perspective. Um, and then just touching on what you guys said about. Slavkovsky perhaps being the greatest offensive Slovak ever in the NHL. I just want to name a couple guys off because I feel like I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, no, there's the, there's some players we're forgetting here. Um, so some of these guys that we forgot about maybe off the off top of our head was, uh, you know, casually a Peter Stasny from back in the 80s. Um, you know, he had like uh, 1,239 points in uh, 977 games. Um, and then more modern uh, Marion Hossa, Hall of Fame player. Um, and then there's a, there's a bit of a drop off but still a good goal scorer, uh, Peter Bondrov with over 500 goals. Um, then Marion Gabrick and uh, Pavel Dimitra. I won't name off the other guys, but just wanted to give a couple names there. Yeah, for you know? sure. Like there, there's some very good players, Hall of Fame player in Hosa. Gabrick was probably, until Kirill Kaprizov showed up, probably the greatest Minnesota Wild player I think we'd ever seen. But I I do think that Slavkovsky probably has a, a, a good shot at being a better offensive producer than those guys. Um, I just remembered, I just uh, thought of this, that technically the first players to be drafted out of Slovakia are from 2011 or so, considering the country split, you know, Czechoslovakia split in 92. Because I Googled it really quick and I was like, these guys are Czechoslovakian, <laughs> Evan. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> And I was just like, I couldn't put two and two together for a second. That's funny. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, no. If if we were talking about the best uh, Czechoslovakian of all time, I think uh, Yager's got that one. Yeah, and I guess moving on here, um, I because I, I don't know, he's intrigued me. This player's intrigued me and I wanted to hear you guys thoughts on this issue, Alex. Um, but like, how do you how do you see Logan Cooley's like like what what's Logan Cooley standing in, in this trap? Because it was it was funny before the whole Slavkovsky explosion is, you know, the whole his draft stock just exploding. Like in my head, I was kind of like mm-hmm. liberating. I'm like changing right Logan Cooley and like to me at the time when I was thinking about this Logan Cooley the, the style of game that Logan Cooley has being like a fast skilled player that seemed really exciting to me as a Habs fan because not that right isn't good or not that right isn't the same pick but it would add a better dimension to the team it would give us more dimension right Suzuki is already more of a two-way smart player right he's not necessarily the fastest skater and in having a like a, a guy like mm-hmm. Logan Cooley with his game like speed and skill to complement that. That's sort of what excited me. Just the thought of it, the notion of that. So what do, what do you think of Logan Cooley? How do you think he compares in this draft overall? And um, yeah, anything I've just said, feel free to comment on it. So I originally said probably a few minutes back that the drop off in this draft is right after two. But there's also another drop off right after Cooley at three. I think he should be the third overall pick. There's been this weird 
news out of Arizona that's like, we're going to take people who want to be coyotes, which make people think they're going to take Cutter Gautier since he is a uh, an Arizona native. But I think Cooley should definitely be the third overall pick. I think he's very reminiscent of like a Jack Hughes, but Jack Hughes light. He plays a similar style of game. I watched the U.S. squad uh, play a lot this year because there was a lot of top prospects on it. It was another strong year, not quite 2019 strong, but pretty strong. I think Cooley definitely has probably like one of the highest ceilings after the top two. And I also think he has some of the least downsides in his game. I think this draft has a lot of guys with elite tools and then a red flag or two or good at everything, but no elite tools type players. And I think Cooley's the closest to the top two in terms of lots of elite tools. Uh, His only downside is that he's just like a smaller kind of guy. And maybe he could add a little bit of power to his shots. But other than that, he doesn't really have a downside to his game. I think whatever team drafts him will be really happy. I think he's definitely a first line center in the NHL. Yeah, from what I've read, I fully agree with you. I think one of the, the reasons why... Some teams might not be like totally thrilled to draft him super high is because he has committed to University of Minnesota next year and like it's going to play for Minnesota next year uh, from all account, which some teams like don't like that they don't have the flexibility to sort of decide where their their prospects are going to play. You look at the upside and like if you're. If you're the Arizona Coyotes who you don't you you don't need to be good next year, you're not going to be good next year. Having him play a year in in college is probably not the worst. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the NCAA as a development league. I don't think it's a huge downside for him because I don't think he was playing in the NHL this year anyway. He could definitely use that year to add muscle. I know a lot of people, what they like about college prospects, if they have only real one thing they have to work on in their game, the lighter schedule in college allows them to, you know, spend that week hitting the gym or spend it working on skating or something and playing the games on weekends. Whereas some of the other leagues, you have a busier schedule, you're traveling and stuff. So I don't think that should affect him too much, but it's definitely a, uh, a good point in overall, though, to how, uh, a lot of people like that European prospects jump right into the AHL compared to like Canadian Hockey League prospects who are kind of locked in there. Yeah, I won't uh, I won't go into that rant about uh, the Canadian Hockey League and their I'll say shenanigans, but their their agreement with the NHL that sort of I would say handicaps NHL teams more than it helps more than it really helps prospect but mm-hmm. that's a story for a different day yeah uh, do you want to talk about i know you asked me and then i briefly asked evan what he thinks about right before we never really got into the defenseman if you want to talk about those two. Oh yeah for sure uh the nemic versus Juracek mm-hmm. sort of debate where do you stand there so i'm a bigger fan of Juracek. Uric, uh, I I just kind of like his all round game a little bit better. I think he also has a higher ceiling. I really like his shot. You know, he's a real smart player. I think most of the top of this draft, uh, if you look at like my notes, I all have like good hockey IQ, high hockey IQ. There's a lot of smart players. I think the league in general is getting a lot smarter. So you see that a lot in the draft more this year than other years. I see a lot of Moritz Cedar in his game. I've also mm. seen Dougie Hamilton as a comparison. I don't think he'll be as good 
as Cedar. I don't think he's quite as good defensively, but he's physical. He has a good shot. I think his playmaking is underrating. I think he has like higher shutdown potential as a number one defenseman than Nemec does or Nemec. I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly, but I think Nemec is going to be the pick at four. I think that's what like everybody, all the draft experts are mocking. I don't think it would be a bad pick if they went Juracek at four over Nemec, but I think he's uh, a little bit of a smarter player. He's a better skater. He's a better playmaker. I like Juracek a little better at the World Championship this year, but I think both of them are solid bets. I think they're the closest to number one defensemen. I think four top defensemen in a draft, though, they're a little weaker. I think, you know, Edvinson and Hughes and Power were much better prospects as defensemen last year. I think in 2020, Sanderson and Drysdale were also better prospects. So I say it's a bit weak for defensemen at the top of the draft. I will say that, but I still think both of them can become number one. And I don't expect them to drop past sixth overall this year. Evan, anything uh, anything to add on uh, the, the two big defensemen? A lot of questions and stuff for me this, this time around on this episode. Because um, Alex, you were saying that you project them, that you could see them as the more defenseman. From what I've seen and read and stuff, and my own inkling of of this draft, and especially with the comparables you mentioned with the previous drafts, right, with other notable prospect defensemen or young defensemen in the NHL right now. I mean, I saw these two as like good number twos or like like definitely like top four defensemen but like not necessarily number one defenseman but more like a a good number two so i don't know what your what your thoughts were on that alex or even Stu, because that's sort of the, the at least the read that i have on it based on what i've read and seen again though feel free to disagree but that's just something that i i've seen and if riley was here he'd be like yeah because you're boring and conservative that's why you say that but like even though that's like sort of true you know um <laughs> yeah it's just that's just what sort of what i've seen on on those two guys not to diminish the the value of these players because who knows you know drafting is just it's a it's an art in and of itself and sometimes it's really just like throwing a dart it, like in the dark and seeing what the hell lands yeah exactly i do ag- kind of agree with what you're saying there there has been weak draft thrown around a lot with this draft i do think though however that that gets thrown around a lot 2017 that was thrown a lot around and four of the top five picks are like all-star level players now 2014 it was thrown around a lot and now that draft has a higher uh goals above average than the generational 2015 draft a year later so that was kind of interesting but I do think like some of these ceilings, like overall ceilings, I think we talked about this, Evan, over text the other day. There's just not a lot of superstar ceiling potential in this draft at the top, which I think does affect a lot of people's right. uh, image of it. Yeah, for sure. I think that the, 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 la- the sort of lack of a perceived like big generational talent like Connor McDavid, Owen Power, or even like Rasmus Dallin was hyped as the next Eric Carlson. We don't have a real sort of crazy high potential guy. I looking through the the whole first round of the draft, I think that everybody's getting a a, a pretty good player who can stake a claim. Hopefully, for the the organizations getting them, can stake a claim to to becoming an NHL player. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, the any underrated uh, draft pick steals, Alex? That you 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 think might be might be there? We don't have to go extensively into this movie. Like pick a couple guys that you think might be. Yeah, a couple guys. Denton uh, Matichuk. I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly. I have him as 12th. I've seen him as low as in the 30s. 
he's an under six foot defenseman, but he plays like I called him a garage sale Kale McCarr. And everybody that just watched the playoffs should think that's that's a valuable kind of player. I think he's a top 15 talent. He might drop much lower. Another guy I really like is a Yuri Kulich. Uh, oh, underrated. He's probably like a later first round guy, but I think he's like a top 12 or so level talent. And then the guys that really check the box for that, I think. I don't even know where they're going to be drafted are Ivan Miroshnicheko. <laughs> even as an Eastern European, I have trouble with that one. And Alexander Parabolov. So I think both of them are like top 10, top 15 in terms of pure talent. But as we mentioned earlier, the whole Russian thing, uh, I think I have like, I wrote something down just about how like right now, like Russians are probably going to drop a lot in this draft. I could see none of them going in the first round, but those guys, wherever they're drafted, have the potential to be, you know, the best value pick ever at like 43rd overall right, or something right. like so that. You is know? it a Kucherov light level at, at least we're thinking here? <laughs> okay. I, yeah. Interesting. I, I would say so. Um, yes. Yeah, Do any, any, any guys, maybe you, you looked at, you saw that maybe, I mean, I have, I have some guys, but Stu, I'm curious to hear if you have any players that intrigue you, maybe. David Goyette. Uh, one of my guys. Great mind. Uh, he, yeah. Well, yeah. He he intrigued me. Um, big big goal scoring total. I forget where he ended up in the end. It was like he was on the he was on the race to fifty. It'll be interesting to see where he lands, how he how he produces. Um, I I I get the feeling that he'll be going back to Sudbury next year. An interesting guy to watch in the, yeah. from the OHL. Yeah, he's he's a really explosive skater. I really liked his skating. I think he might go like sometime like late in the second, perhaps. I think he does need to diversify his all around game a little bit. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, the one thing that stood out to me that I saw was like this guy is always going. Doesn't matter what the score is. And to me, I'm like, yes, we need that in Montreal. We we need. You know what I mean? You, you need a couple of those guys in your team that 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 are like heart and soul guys. But you know the the warriors out there that will keep going no matter what, right? So that's why for me, I really like that. I'm, the Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, skating, right? <laughs> and and in this modern age of the NHL, the game where it is today, like you need to have like really good skating if you're going to keep up in this game. So definitely something, someone that uh, stood out to me. I mean, when I, when I read um, an article from the athletic about it's essentially about like respected players from different junior leagues. So whether, whether it's the, the CHL leagues, um, the USHL, they even did a poll from the SHL and Liga. And like there are a whole bunch of different guys that got brought up. I'll go run through them quickly. Alex, maybe you can just comment quickly on some of these guys from starting with the WHL. Owen Pickering, big rangy physical defenseman. Anything to say on him? I have him oh. going to Montreal, actually. 26th overall. So he's probably going to be a late teens, early 20s guy. I just was like doing my mock and I was like, oh man, I haven't picked him yet. Uh, he makes a lot of sense to Montreal if the draft does go like this. So with Pickering, he kind of fumbles. He kind of gives up the puck sometimes. Uh, he needs to be a little more aggressive and he's a big project pick. I think he might take three, maybe a little more before he's like right. has a foothold in the NHL. But I think a team like a Montreal that doesn't need to doesn't need them for like, you know, four years or so 
to take a shot on him. He has number one uh, defenseman upside. He's like 6'5", 175 pounds, though. So right. he has a good 40 pounds okay. he's going to have to add. Just because you brought up Montreal here, and this just piqued my, like, a question in my own head, are there any potential right-handed defensemen that you think could be fits in Mon- for, for Montreal to take later later in the first round, or even potentially obviously past the first round? Any, any right-handed defensemen that maybe stick out to you? Uh, Tristan Luno. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. He's right out of the queue. Uh, he's a right-handed defenseman. He's kind of a uh, one of those guys who's like good at everything, not elite at anything. Probably is a ceiling is like a second okay. pairing number three guy. Noah Warren is another one. He's another six oh. five guy, but he's already two twenty five. Again, second pairing upside with phenomenal skating will take a few years to develop. And another right-handed guy who might go in the first round is Elias. Solomonson. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the name because he was a top 10 pick before the season started. And he had a pretty bad year with some very poor defensive play and some compete level issues, which have dropped him potentially out of the first round entirely. But they're all uh, right handed shots I could see going late in the first round to Montreal, one of those picks. Uh, Also, Toronto. Yeah, I think no, they need I, I, like just more than context though. Issue, like for Habs fans or avid Habs fans that watch the team a lot, there's a there's a gaping hole in my opinion on the right side of our defense, especially when you ship Petrie out. There's not really much there. I think left-handed defensemen were were good. Romanov's a lefty. Caden Gooley, I'm really excited for as a lefty. Matthias Norlander's a lefty. Jordan Harris is a lefty. I know, you know, but you know, but like, yeah, I think we have some decent depth on the left side. That's why I asked you the question about right-handed D because right now we're decimated. We just, we lost Weber. He's not going to play again and we're going to Petri out. So that's why I asked about righty because, you know, you need yeah. a balanced defense in the NHL. I, I would just say I picked the lefty there more so right. for a potential top pairing upside because I'm not sure you guys have a ton of that right now. You are going to have uh, franchise cornerstones with Wright or Slavkovsky along with Suzuki and Caulfield. So like there's a need for a defenseman there. That's why I went for maybe the uh, higher ceiling one there. But you're, they could definitely go right-handed uh, defensively. Absolutely. There's a taking couple the, that make a lot of sense in that range. Regardless of position is, you know, there's there's a saying there, and I, I agree, right? Yeah, uh, okay. And I, yeah. I heard really good things. Uh, just one more guy from the WHL quickly here. Uh, Kevin Korchinski from the Seattle Thunderbirds. I heard he has a lot of good skill and speed. Um, anything to say on him? So I, I do have some things to say on him. So he is a late riser. Some people have him going as high as 10th. Uh, overall and a lot of like high to low, like high tens to like low teens type picks. I don't like Korchinski. I've just seen him make some absolute most questionable plays I've seen in my life. And as a Devils <laughs> fan, I've seen Damon Severson make quite a bit of those. Uh, he looks lost sometimes on the ice. I won't deny that he has a very high ceiling for a defenseman. He could be the first left-handed defenseman taken this year. I'm not a big fan. I don't think I would use my team's only first round pick. I think personally, I'd if I were like Montreal with like my second pick or, you know, someone late in the first round, I'd take a shot on him. But I think an early first rounder, first half of the first round, I wouldn't use a pick on him. But, you know, I've been wrong before. So I think yeah. he's a boomer bust pick. I'll also say this really quick because I mentioned the range of the pick. 
I feel like after 10 or 11 or so, there's no drop offs. It's just a very gradual slope in terms of talent where I'm like, oh, this guy could go two spots earlier. And then I think that the whole time. But then I compare 20 to 10 and I go, there's no way this guy could go that high. So it's, it's a little interesting. A lot of the picks I feel are more so close in range where they're going to go. I did try right. and like fit stuff to team needs and stuff. I think if your team picks a guy you didn't think they would pick, you shouldn't really get upset this year because the talent is so close to each other and you don't know a lot about players and tangibles compared to the teams that are interviewing them, that it, it should be pretty hard to get right. upset okay. about who your team drafts. Yeah. Okay. I cool. Sounds all great. Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us here on The Real Housewives of Hockey. As always, or most almost I'm always, I'm Stu. <laughs> and, and I'm Alex. And uh, make sure you, uh, you continue to listen and share and uh, send, us, uh, send us those emails at therealhousewives at gmail.com. We'll uh, connect with you uh, later. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy. Yeah, happy 4th of July to all the your July, all our, uh, folks. American listeners.